This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome to Trashy Divorces, everyone. We are everybody's favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends, I'm Alicia. Thanks for joining us for today's tale of marital misadventure as we begin season 19 of Trashy Divorces. Wow. Can you believe it? Nope, nope, nope. 19. Wow. Oh, the trashy. We have planned for you this season. We are thrilled that you are here for today's season opener. Alicia, who do you have for the people today? Calvin Klein, the fashion brand himself with two divorces and a few scandalous relationships too. This story has a lot of twists and turns, including Studio 54, a new law, and a kidnapping too. As a rule, you do not want a law named after you, but continue. (laughs) Before we begin today's episode, we do have some names in the magic mirror here with tremendous Thanks and praise to our most recent supporters at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Thanks so much for joining us, Megan B, Catherine K, Joanna L, and Brad 2, Catherine A, Very Nice T, Lindsay L, Sherry, and Ray M. Hey, add in Amy and Trish 2. Holy cat, so grateful to y'all for your support. So grateful to all of our patrons getting early and ad-free episodes dumpster dives, and bonus divorces, too. And right now, you can even get yourself a seven-day free trial to test it before you buy, I suppose. Yeah, we got you if you need a little bit more trash candy in your life. But it is high time right now to launch this season's Trashy Collection. Let's get to the show and go, go, go. All right, Alicia, so nothing is coming between you and your subject this week, am I right? It's kind of it. There are few names as entrenched in the American popular culture as Calvin Klein. We are so used to seeing the name on billboards and perfume and home goods and underwear and clothing that we hardly even notice it anymore, but it is all around us. Synonymous with sexy advertising, with scantily clad models. We can all spot what the Calvin Klein brand looks like without needing to see the name. But the name is not only a brand, it is a person. And it is true that Calvin Klein, the brand, and the person have forever changed the way we think of style and blue jeans and minimalist design and fragrance as Calvin Klein is never afraid to push those boundaries, whether it be in fashion or advertising, or even in his personal life. Hmm. Here's a little fun fact for you. The brand is so permeated everyday life that Calvin Klein's daughter, her name is Marcy, said in 1994, My only complaint about having a father in fashion is that every time I'm about to go to bed with a guy, I have to look at my dad's name all over his underwear. <laughs> oh my God along with the tremendous professional success and, you know, becoming a cultural icon. Calvin Klein, for our purposes here, has had a few trashy divorces and 
some other romantic relationships along the way, and they are just as interesting as the story of his brand. Hmm. Let's get into it. Let's begin with Calvin Klein's early life and beginning his fashion empire. There are a lot of really interesting stories embedded in here. Little Calvin Richard Klein was born in the Bronx in New York on November 19, 1942. Calvin coming in on the tail end of being a Scorpio there. So the family lives in a small apartment in the northern part of the Bronx near Riverdale. And Calvin is the middle kid out of three. Calvin's dad had moved to the United States from Budapest at the age of five. And Calvin's dad runs a grocery store in Harlem. Calvin, you know, goes to dad's work a lot, visits the grocery, and will have conversations with his dad about the products in the store and how dad priced those products. This was information that would become useful to Calvin a little later in life. In a 2008 Vanity Fair article named Calvin to the Core, (laughs) Calvin Klein says, I would see grapefruits in the fruit and vegetable department, and some of them were 29 cents a pound, and others were 49 cents. And I'd ask, what's the difference between the two? And my father said, some people like to pay 29 cents, and some like to pay 49 cents. It's a good insight into consumer behavior. I thought, hmm, I learned later that that's the fashion business to a great deal. You pick the spot where you want to be, where you want your products to be. Many people think that just because it's more expensive, it's better. That isn't always the truth. So Calvin, as a kid, loves art, loves fashion, and was very much encouraged to pursue those interests that he has from his mom. Calvin gets his love of sewing from his grandmother. She was a seamstress. And Calvin and his mom would go to his grandmother's alteration shop. And there Calvin would sketch designs and listen to the women talk about what they liked or didn't like about clothing and how things should actually fit. It's pockets, Calvin. It's pockets. pockets. Always pockets. Calvin, years later, said, I spent the first 10 years of my life designing beige, cream, white, brown, because those were all the colors that my mother loved. She would line her jackets in fur, and she would do all these outrageous things, considering that we came from what you would call a very middle-class family in the Bronx. So maybe you can kind of hear Calvin's not a typical child Mm -hmm. of his era, while other kids are out playing sports and stickball and swimming in the river or whatever, exploring (laughs) outside. Calvin is not doing that. He's studying and sketching fashion designs and practicing his sewing skills. Calvin does have a few friends who like the same thing, which is always nice. He's got two friends, Jane Center and Barry Schwartz, and they, Jane and Barry do, share Calvin's love of art and fashion. Both Jane and Barry are going to be integral parts of Calvin's life and career. Just remember those names, Jane Center, Barry Schwartz. Okay. Calvin is going to attend the High School of Art and Design, which focuses on advertising and drafting. Ah, then it's going to be fun. Calvin is then going to go on to study at the Fashion Institute of Technology. Where I think he made it work. He always makes it work. 
along with Jane Center and mm. Barry Schwartz. Okay. So here, Calvin gets an apprenticeship with the Dan Milstein Company on 7th Avenue in New York City. And Dan Milstein manufactures suits and coats. So Calvin's going to work five years there as an apprentice, long nights, weekends, ensuring that his work is perfect. Paying his dues, Calvin is. In 1968, though, Calvin and his childhood friend, Barry Schwartz, will launch Calvin Klein Incorporated. Calvin says he wants to design clothing for women that was more practical and made sense for lifestyles that women were actually living every day. He said that clothing being sold to women seemed far too, his words, bulletproof and architectural. Hmm. That was the style of the day. And he's like, yeah. that's not that's not what women need to be doing. Mm-hmm. Calvin says, I thought American women needed to be more streamlined. They moved faster. They were working. They were raising kids. It was that time when rules were changing. They were busy and they didn't have time to change. They went to work, to the theater, to a restaurant. That was my inspiration. What I didn't know at the time is that there were people all over the world who were thinking the same way. Barry Schwartz and Calvin Klein are going to get their big break just by an accident, by a complete and total fluke. Best kind. The Harlem storefront that Calvin Klein and Barry Schwartz had set up was actually destroyed during the riots after Martin Luther King's assassination. Hmm. So, kind of a problem. Their storefront is tanked. They yeah. have a lot of material, mm-hmm. right? They got a, they got a lot of they got a lot of product. So, Barry and Calvin are going to move their workspace into a hotel, which is fine. We just need an extra space to store our stuff and be able to work. Well, by accident, fates and how they step in, a clothing buyer from Bonwit Teller got off on the wrong floor. Got off on the elevator, wrong <laughs> floor, and just kind of wanders into Calvin Klein's workroom. Oh, wow. <laughs> and this clothing buyer from Bonwit Teller loved what she saw. She was really impressed by the quality of the work. Soon enough, there's a face-to-face meeting set up for Calvin Klein to show his clothing to Mildred Custon, the president of Bonwit Teller. Hmm. Calvin, you ready for this? Oh, I love this story. He refuses to take a taxi to the meeting because it would crease his clothing. <laughs> what to do? What What am I going to do? I can't sit down. So Calvin personally wheeled a clothing rack from 7th Avenue and 37th Street to 5th Avenue and 56th Street. That's a mile and a half. Oh, wow. I mean, you do it for the art. He says this way, everything, it could be perfect. Along that journey, that mile and a half journey from whatever, 7th and 37th to 5th and 56th, the rack broke a wheel. But did Calvin stop? No. No. Kept on going. Wheel off the cart. But he sure wasn't wrinkled. The meeting was a success. And Calvin left that day with a $50,000 order. Once the clothes were actually in the stores, sure enough, They flew off the racks. Flew off the racks. Mm -hmm. Clothes sell very quickly, and the buzz about Calvin Klein begins. Pretty exciting. Let's go ahead and get to our first marriage. I told you another one of those names in addition to Barry Schwartz, Jane Center. Yep. That's Calvin Klein's first wife. Well, well. Calvin and his childhood friend, Jane, began dating in junior high, and 
They both loved art and fashion and had dreams of making something big of their lives. Jane and Calvin marry in 1964. The bride is 20, the groom is 21. They get married at the Hampshire Hotel on Central Park South. <laughs> now, Jane had also graduated from the Fashion Institute of Technology with a degree, but Jane's degree was in textile design. Jane will go on to work in the textile industry for more than three decades. It is in October of 1967 that Jane and Calvin welcome their daughter, Marcy. Hmm. Okay. Who will later have to deal with seeing her father's name on all of her boyfriend's underwear. That is true. But Marcy has a little bit of a, yikes, kidnapping attempt that happens in her childhood. Wow. Are you ready for this story? Oh, gosh. They marry 64. Marcy's born in 67. And even though Calvin Klein's career and company was rising dramatically during the course of the marriage, Jane and Calvin were really able to keep their private life under the radar. Jane has nothing to do with the spotlight. It's just not her jam. And Calvin Klein, the business empire, is growing. And with all that success, Calvin doesn't have a whole lot of time to spend with wife Jane and daughter Marcy. So the family had moved to Forest Hills, Queens, but Calvin Klein often slept at his Manhattan showroom along with Barry Schwartz because they work 18-hour days. Sure. In 2008... <laughs> they were probably also concerned about riots. <laughs> probably. In 2008, Calvin Klein tells Vanity Fair that he deeply regrets this time that he missed with Marcy during her childhood. Marcy, on the other hand, says of her childhood, They were still living in Queens when I was born, so I remember my dad before he was famous. There were canvases around that he was still painting. Hippies is not the right word for them, but they were artsy. The apartment didn't look like other people's. It had white floors and all white walls. They weren't like anybody else's parents. So they marry in 1964. Jane and Calvin divorce with very little media coverage and not a lot of fanfare in 1974. Okay. Ten years in. Many years later... Calvin Klein explains the reason they divorced as, it's so relatable, we were kids, we grew in different directions, quote unquote. But in a 1984 Playboy interview, Calvin was a little bit more direct about his feelings on the marriage. He will tell Playboy magazine, if you have to go somewhere else for sex, then why be married? Not untrue. Yeah. It's a little crass, but, well, yeah, Calvin. All right. Crasser is the kidnapping attempt. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we're going to come back with poor Marcy. Hmm. Whoa. And find out what happens there. See you on the flip. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, but that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Dis and Tell, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. 
Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right. So the divorce between Jane and Calvin... A little low-key, not a lot of coverage, but unfortunately, a few years later, they are going to get a lot of coverage for an entirely different reason. In 1978, Marcy, their daughter, was kidnapped on Manhattan's Upper East Side. Marcy's 11. Yikes. And the kidnappers lured Marcy off a city bus at 7.30 a.m. Marcy's just on her way to Dalton School to, you know, Mm -hmm. go to school. This was the big stranger danger era, too. Oh, yeah. Was it because Calvin Klein was famous, or was this just a thing that happened? Let's get through the story. Okay. Okay, so Marcy, on her way to Dalton School, gets lured off the bus, kidnapped. Soon after Marcy's abducted, Calvin Klein receives a phone call with a ransom demand. Calvin contacts the FBI, who then advise Calvin how to move forward. After several phone calls, Calvin Klein drops a bag containing $100,000 in cash near the top of an escalator in the Pan Am building behind Grand Central Station. This is like something out of a TV show. Or a movie. Yeah. Okay, so FBI agents are there at the Pan Am building. They're on the scene, but the FBI agents make zero effort to stop the person that picks the money bag up. Zero. Just take take the money and run, I guess. (laughs) So an hour after the money was collected, Marcy was found unharmed in a third-floor apartment at 60 East 97th Street. She was free of restraints when they found her, but Marcy said that she had been bound and gagged Mm. for the majority of... Her time with the kidnappers. At age 11, that's... So the police, maybe a little bit more helpful than the Fetties, I don't know, the G-men, take that money. (laughs) The police instead are like, hmm, we should probably find out what's up with this. Kidnapping, not great. So the fuzz trace the phone calls from the kidnapper ransom thing to the home of Marcy's part-time babysitter. Oh, no. Paula Ramsey. And it was later determined that the babysitter, her brother, and a close friend were the trio of kidnappers. Oh, my God. 
Well, that's awful. So that was a great way to make money. But then Polly Ramsey, holy cats, is questioned. And the babysitter tells police, not just that me and my brother started a crime ring. No, she's got, babysitter has a whole new story. Babysitter tells police that she and Calvin Klein were lovers. And that it was the fashion designer himself who orchestrated the kidnapping scheme to get publicity for his new line of clothing and cosmetics. Calvin Klein is like, this lady's off a rocker, uh, denies that he had an affair with Miss Ramsey or had anything to do with the kidnapping. So the kidnappers go to trial. The kidnappers' first trial ended in a hung jury. The second time around, when they're tried, they take a plea deal and are sentenced to eight and a half to 25 years in prison. Wow. As part of that plea deal, Ms. Ramsey agreed to retract her claims of her romantic involvement with Calvin Klein, uh, stating that that was, in fact, a quote-unquote outrageous lie. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. Well, I'm glad we got Marcy back. Yeah. Little bit of a kidnapping scandal. Goodness. Okay, you ready? I'm not sure. That was bizarre, and it's hard to believe that actually happens in real life. But it's go ahead. It's the 1970s. Mm. It wouldn't be the 1970s in Calvin Klein without taking a little trip to Studio 54. Oh, sure. Having some scandalous ads and then getting clean. All right. In the 1970s, 1980s, Calvin Klein was a major part of the social scene. It was 1977 when he really becomes a cultural icon with pictures of Calvin with the most famous people of the day like Bianca Jagger, Liza Minnelli, Andy Warhol. Calvin was also one of the people frequently spotted at Studio 54. For a few short years, Studio 54 and the disco movement really were the heart and soul of New York's social scene, and especially where it all conglomerated and intersected between fashion, art, entertainment. There was a lot happening, legal and illegal, within Studio 54. Yes, yes. Calvin Klein said, who wanted to be lunching with a socialite? I wanted to be part of the whole new era that got inspired by what was happening in the world. It was an amazing time in New York City. Everyone from all walks of life from any part of the world. At least I had the opportunity to meet them and get inspired by the way people looked or what they did. I was there. Studio 54 was our El Morocco, our stork club. Even the goddess herself, Dolly Parton... (laughs) Remembers hanging out with Calvin Klein. I used to go to Studio 54 all the time and hang out with Andy Warhol and Calvin Klein and so many people. (laughs) It really was the epicenter. Yeah, for sure. Not just making his name known in the Studio 54 scene, Calvin Klein was also really getting a lot of publicity for those controversial blue jean ads featuring Brooke Shields, previous Trashy Divorces alum. Sure. Posing seductively and saying, you want to know what comes between me and my Calvins? Nothing. Now, mm, Brooke Shields was 15 at the time. Mm. And the photograph shot by Richard Avedon, fantastic photographer, 
Although when the photos came out, they were considered by many to be, whoa, a little too sexy for a minor. No, I remember it was a bit scandalous. It was pretty scandalous. It was disgust in my household when I was a child. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. The commercial that was shot was actually banned by both ABC and CBS. But Calvin Klein is not backing down. Right. His response to the scandal, he says, jeans are sex. The tighter they are, the better they sell. I'm sure that he loved the controversy. I mean, what what better way to build your brand to get named? It's This is how the world works these days, for sure. Well, Calvin Klein isn't just going to stop there with the underage model in the tight blue jeans. He's going to add to the controversy Calvin Klein will take Brooke Shields to Studio 54 for a celebration party, which lands both of them on the cover of People magazine in 1982. Thought you were going to say in jail, but okay. Now, Now, Brooke Shields says that Calvin Klein was very protective of her when they were there. In 2021, however, Brooke Shields talked to Vogue and they asked her about this blue jean commercial scandal. And Brooke Shields says, it just struck me as so ridiculous, the whole thing. I was naive. I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think it had to do with underwear. I didn't think it was sexual in nature. Going on, Brooke Shields will continue regarding the tagline. If they had intended on the double entendre, they didn't explain it to me. It didn't phase me. And after watching the commercial again, Brooke Shields will admit that it was a little racy, given her age, saying the choreography was specific and intentional. Yeah, at 56, I can go back and look at the camera and see, oh, well, they're zooming in on kind of my crotch area, Mm -hmm. and then it comes to my face. Okay. Slightly problematic, but it sure did get everyone talking about his genes. Mission accomplished. Now, maybe Calvin's not making the smartest decisions in the time because, like a lot of other folks we've talked about during the 1970s and 1980s, Calvin Klein is way misusing drugs and alcohol. Calvin Klein tells Vanity Fair, I was experimenting during that time. I didn't think it was bad. I didn't know I was doing something that could be damaging. We would tell each other, In South America, they always do cocaine. Silly things like that. I burn the candle at both ends. When you're young, you can do that to a certain degree. I learned that I could not do it. I learned the hard way, and I paid a price. It was all new. I just didn't know any better. The thing is, we were successful. We managed to be very high-functioning people, so that was a source of denial. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people are high-functioning right up until they aren't anymore, and so it can take some time for the impact of addiction or misuse to really make itself known. So think about that time frame, right? Late 70s, early 80s. It was a bad era for uh, noses. (laughs) Just ask 8 Mile, Nick Fleetwood. To add to that, source of denial. We've got a confirmation here from Bruce Weber. Bruce Weber was a photographer who shot many of Calvin Klein's most memorable ad campaigns. Bruce Weber confirms the whole high-functioning thing about Calvin, even when staying up 
all night partying. Bruce Weber tells Vanity Fair about Calvin Klein. He could be out all night and might not go home, but he was in that office on time, ready to go. That made me want to have the same drive for his work. We were all in love with Calvin, as we were all the editors. He was the most seductive person. You wanted to please him. Men, women, everyone. But eventually, Calvin Klein realized that he was causing major damage to himself and his business and decides to get clean. In 1988, Calvin mm-hmm. Klein checks into rehab. So he had a nice long run of... Uh, yeah, decade-long run sure. of mm-hmm. high life. Sure. Calvin Klein says, There came a certain point when I knew that this was no longer fun and I couldn't stop drinking or using recreational drugs. Then I had to do something about it. Betty Ford had changed all of that. She was the most courageous woman, and for her to do what she did at that time was really a breakthrough. That was a turning point. I was never concerned about Barry not understanding. I thought, if I don't deal with this, we will really have serious problems with the business. I just won't be able to work, so I had to do this. It wasn't an option. So Calvin gets clean, but it's not like the misuse of drugs and alcohol didn't inspire a few things along the way. Hmm. Let's talk about Calvin Klein jeans. It was during one of those heady nights at Studio 54 that sparks an idea that would change the way the world thinks about designer jeans. Calvin Klein had always mixed business with pleasure and often drew his greatest inspirations from experiences outside the office. What did he say? Like, it was a great place to live. It was an exciting time. Mm-hmm. One night, Calvin Klein is dancing at Studio 54. This is in 1977, and inspiration hits. Calvin Klein says, I ran into this guy at Studio 54 at 4 o'clock in the morning <laughs> who said to me, how would you like to put your name on jeans? Now, it's a little difficult to imagine today, a number of decades on, but the concept of designer jeans in 1977 was very much in its infancy. Gloria Vanderbilt had just launched her jean line the year before in 1976, but in the 70s, there just wasn't the variety of jeans with designer names on them like there is today. Calvin Klein, Gloria Vanderbilt started this thing. Okay. Pioneering. Calvin says, the man said he was speaking for a friend in the fashion business and asked, how would you like to make a million dollars? I heard him loud and clear. Mm -hmm. When it's about work in the business, I don't miss it. I thought this could really be interesting. My mind was going. I always liked the idea that I would be able to reach more people. That's why the genes interested me. The jeans gave me the opportunity to get the message across to the masses. They gave me an opportunity to create in another way. So the next day, Calvin Klein rolls on into the office, talks to his partner, Barry Schwartz, about the idea. Probably like three hours later. (laughs) Right. They make, Calvin and Barry do, a deal with the manufacturer. So Barry Schwartz tells Vanity Fair that the jeans cost $19.75 to make. And they sold for $40 a pair. Okay, so doubling, doubling your money. Not long after the launch, 
Barry and Calvin were shipping half a million pairs of Calvin Klein jeans out every week. You ready for something more startling? Five years later, the company was selling $500 million worth of blue jeans a year. Wow. That is a lot of denim. That is a lot of denim. All right. You about ready for another marriage? Yeah. Seems like it's time. Yeah. Well, another marriage to get another divorce here. Uh. <laughs> Let's traverse in our trashy timeline to 1981, where Calvin Klein will hire a design assistant. Her name is Kelly Rector, and she was 24. Kelly had actually interviewed for a job a few months earlier, but didn't get hired in that round. But no worries, Kelly and Calvin run into each other at Studio 54, and Calvin's like, whoa, I'm going to call you the next morning and tell Kelly that she will start the following day with Calvin Klein. Three hours later, (laughs) on the design team, Kelly Rector does help to develop the line of highly successful Calvin Klein underwear. After several years of working closely together and building their relationship, she's hired in 81, Calvin Klein proposes to Kelly in 1986. Kelly doesn't seem to mind the persistent rumors that her future husband was maybe far more into men than women. Interesting. The couple marries in Rome on September 26th, 1986. They had wanted the wedding to be private, but word got out to the press and the nuptials naturally make news around the world. Kelly wears an off-white silk suit and lace blouse saying, It's by Calvin, of (laughs) course. As it would be. Now, it doesn't take long for people to talk about business that ain't theirs, so right from the start, there were rumors of either a troubled marriage or that the couple had a quote-unquote arrangement. Sure. Kelly and Calvin live in separate apartments for the first entire year of their marriage. Okay, that is interesting and unusual. But seriously, in 1992, Kelly tells the New York Times that she was the happiest woman in the world. She says, I love him. I love everything he does. He's just the best guy in the world. I am his muse. I happen to be very American. Look very American. That helps to fit right into his sense of design and style. I never felt threatened by his success and fame. I've only learned from it. It's made me independent, stronger, so I'm happy I can wear his clothes and look as beautiful in them as I do. I'm flattered by that, really. I guess if they work together, it almost makes sense that they would live, they would have their own spaces, right? Like, most people live together and then go work separately. Maybe it makes sense. Whatever the living arrangements are, Calvin Klein buys Kelly a beautiful mansion in the Hamptons, also lavishes her with many gifts. We've mentioned this in passing in a few different stories. Calvin Klein drops $1.4 million in jewelry for his wife, Kelly, from the jewelry estate auction sale of Wallace Simpson, the Duchess of Windsor. Oh, wow. Dominic Dunn covered that. Mm -hmm. By 1994, eight years into the marriage, the rumor mill is stronger than ever. And there's even an unauthorized biography of Calvin Klein called Obsession by Stephen Gaines and Sharon Churcher. 
and that does nothing but fuel the flames even higher. This book, Obsession, alleges that the couple lives basically separate lives and that Calvin Klein was a bisexual, which is not something he had yet discussed publicly. It seemed obvious to many that Calvin liked to be surrounded by many male friends and that these groups of men ignored Kelly. The book claims, quote, some intimates see the marriage as a happy compromise, others an uneasy truce. Life cannot be easy for either of them. Hmm. Ten years after they marry, looks like Calvin Klein has that 10-year limit. It's in 1996 that the couple officially separates with a statement released as follows. Calvin and Kelly Klein have made a joint decision to separate. They remain extraordinarily respectful of each other. They intend to make every effort possible to work out any issue between them, but in any event, intend to remain the closest of friends as they are today. You ready for the twist of this? The couple never live together again or share a life together again. They marry 86, they separate 96, but they will not legally divorce until 2006. Oh, wow. 10 years after they announced their separation. That's also unexpected. Also unexpected. I mean, Calvin Klein, just a lot of twists in this story. So perhaps Calvin doing a little bit different things. Calvin may have some ideas about himself and his sexuality. Sure. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear what Calvin has to say about himself. Interesting. Learn about the Calvin Klein law. Hmm. And maybe talk about a little bit more scandals in the relationship categories. Can't wait. We'll see you right back. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right. So it seems fair with so many people speculating or drawing their own conclusions about many different aspects of Calvin Klein that he's managed to remain fairly quiet on all aspects having to do with his personal life. Calvin will hint at certain things, but never really goes into any kind of graphic detail. In his 1984 Playboy interview, he said, I think it's more fun if you have the reputation and people don't know everything. A little mystery isn't so bad. It is, though, almost 25 years later in that 2008 Vanity Fair piece, Calvin gets a little bit more open. The times had changed and society was a little bit more accepting of non-heteronormative people, and Calvin's also a little older and a little wiser, so he'll talk about his sexuality and how it impacted his creativity as well as the Calvin Klein brand. Calvin says, You can see a photograph that Bruce Weber did, which said a lot about my life. 
It was in 1985 for the fragrance Obsession, and the model Josie Burain was on it. I was obsessed with her. She was such an interesting woman, and not an obvious sex pot, androgynous in a certain way, but so fine and classy. In the ads, there are arms and hands and all of these body parts all over her. You didn't know if they were men or women. You didn't know how many of them there were, but it got your mind going. That was a period of time when sex was everywhere, as were drugs. Not for everyone, of course. I've experienced, and I've said it before, a lot of my fantasies. I've experienced sex with men, with women. I've fallen in love with women. I've married women. And I have a family. I've experienced lots of things that have influenced my world. I am, for good or bad, a real example of whatever I've put out there. The imagery really is a part of me. And it happened because I was either observing or living in a certain way or desiring to. It's not something where we tried to say, well, let's outdo the other people and see if we can be more outrageous. It was real. This guy. Holy cats. Okay, we got a little bit more scandal, but first, let's talk about a little bit of basketball. A little sportsing. Okay. Where does this come in? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Calvin Klein Law. Many people outside of New York City may have zero idea that Calvin Klein has a law named after him. Hmm. About basketball. Yep. In 2003, let me let me set up the shot. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. In 2003, Calvin Klein created a scene at a New York Knicks game when he wobbled over from his celebrity row seat to speak to one of the players. This is Latrell Sprewell. So Calvin starts a conversation with Latrell while Latrell is trying to inbound the ball. Oh, God. Like mid-game. Like this was not a pause in the action. Actually, not even mid-game. This incident happened with only three minutes left remaining in the game. So he was that guy. He was that guy. And throughout the incident, Latrell Sprewell looks a little bit confused. He's like, I was a little surprised. I had no idea it was him. I was wondering if security was going to come over at some point because Sprewell doesn't even know who this is. Sure. Until a Nick staffer tells him in the locker room after the game. Security will come over to Calvin Klein and is like, hey, buddy, you need to go back to your seat. You know, this guy's like at work right now. Maybe don't, we don't hassle. <laughs> Not during the game. Right. So once Calvin gets back to his seat, Calvin doesn't stop. He yells, Sprewell! Oh, my God. Okay, so then according to the New York Post, Klein then tried to barrel onto the court at the buzzer, perhaps to congratulate the Knicks for sticking in the playoff race. Latrell Sprewell doesn't seem upset about the incident, but did seem kind of amused by how just bizarre it was. Right. When asked... What Klein had said to him, you know, in the last three minutes of the game, <laughs> um, Sprewell says, I'm going to keep that to myself. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> so after this incident, Mayor Bloomberg enacted and signed the Calvin Klein bill into law to stop unruly fan behavior at sporting events. Mayor Bloomberg said all athletes deserve to be able to do their job without worrying that some unruly fan may assault them. I mean, true, true. Kind of true of everyone in every job, really. So what happens? What does the Calvin Klein law mean? 
The Calvin Klein law states that an offender can get up to one year behind bars. Fines of up to $1,000 and civil penalties up to $5,000. Hmm. An offender can also be fined up to $25,000 if they hit or has unwelcome physical contact with a player, a coach, or an umpire. Okay. Kidnappings and laws. The story mean, really has everything. It, it goes a lot of places here. All right. Let's move along. Let's yeah. get to 2010. New Yorkers, you need to tone it down at your sporting events. Well, Calvin Klein showed up, showed out, has mm. a law against him. Mm-hmm. So let's skip in our story to 2010 and talk about the scandalous relationship with porn star and male escort Nick Gruber. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In 2010, Calvin Klein had his first public relationship with a man. Calvin's lover's name was Nick Gruber. Nick was 22, Calvin Klein was 60 when their romance started. Of course. (laughs) This relationship not only turns heads, you know, due to the age difference, but it was also notable that perhaps Calvin Klein was playing out a bit of Pygmalion uh, with Gruber. Gotcha. Now, Nick admittedly had a really rough childhood. Nick Gruber's mother was an addict and... Nick doesn't meet his father until he's a teenager. Nick grows up in and out of foster homes. At one time, Nick Gruber planned to publish a tell-all book about his relationship with Calvin Klein. And that book was actually never published, but page six obtained a copy of the book proposal. That was called Obsession, My Life with Calvin Klein. Hmm. Page six will publish portions of that book proposal. So according to Nick Gruber, when he was 18, he was at the welfare office picking up food stamps for his mother when he was approached by a overweight and unattractive man. Nick claims the man asked him if he wanted to be a model. Nick says later, of course, I found out this is the typical cliche come online to get you into the escort business. Gruber was not gay and claims he had no interest in having sex with men, but that soon he, quote, learned he was every gay man's fantasy, unquote. So Nick takes advantage of that and turns it into an alter ego and really starts making good money. Nick says, some gay men love the idea of seducing a straight guy, and that, I would come to discover, was a big part of my appeal. So Nick, through meeting some of the men he met, got introduced to the porn industry. He started doing porn under the alias of Aaron Skyline. During this time, Nick meets porn producer Vaughn Kinsley, who Nick Gruber said was, quote, well-known for supplying hot young boys to the rich and famous of Los Angeles. Helpfully, Vaughn Kinsley promised Nick Gruber, I'll find you a sugar daddy and later tells him Calvin Klein had seen a photo of Nick and was interested. Nick Gruber says, For my part, I really had no idea who Klein was. Although I guess I didn't realize it at the time, I grew up pretty poor. I wasn't wearing designer labels unless they could be found on the racks of Walmart, and even then I was hardly paying attention to the name inside my underwear. Sure. Allegedly. (laughs) Calvin Klein was drawn to Nick Gruber because Nick reminded Calvin of a younger version of himself. 
Nick Gruber says the two started a sexting relationship in the beginning. They will meet in person in March 2010 when Calvin Klein sends, you know, the PJ out. Ah, the private chat. Yeah. (laughs) This is a private G4 plane. It's only a problem if it's a Supreme Court justice, Alicia. PJ. Private jet comes out to bring Nick to the Hamptons. Uh, This is really gross. Calvin Klein meets him at the door and says, hi, I'm Calvin. Come on in. And according to Nick Gruber's book proposal, the pair had a hot and heavy night of sex the first night Nick arrived. The proposal reads, not to sound arrogant, but I really think Calvin first started to fall in love with me that night. The first night goes great enough, so the next day Calvin will take Nick out shopping and introduces Nick to some of his friends. With the copy here reading from Nick, I later found out that this was a big deal for Calvin. He had never introduced a guy to any of his friends before. Hmm. Right from the very start, Calvin was treating me as if I were his boyfriend. He was happy to show me off in public, and I felt like a boyfriend too. It was a new feeling for me. I knew my life was about to change forever. So remember how Kelly was the inspiration for Calvin and I was his muse? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Calvin Klein, I guess, you know, you can take the boy out of the Fashion Institute of Technology. But at this point, Calvin Klein begins giving Nick Gruber a full makeover. New skin resurfacing, speech therapy, new teeth, a new hairstyle, lots of new clothes. Nick Gruber will then claim that Calvin Klein took him to a steroid doctor to help Nick keep his, quote, lean and pumped look, unquote. This reminds me of the Liberace story. A little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That same reshaping of the boyfriend into the older man's ideal. According to Nick Gruber, the romance started to go south when... Calvin and Nick went on a European vacation, and Nick felt pressured, quote-unquote, to profess his love for Klein and to have sex in public places, including a famous French church. Well. I mean, public sex, it's, you know, you hope both of you like it, but if one of you likes it and one of you doesn't, it's a little incompatible. Vacation goals, I guess. (laughs) I, I don't know. When Calvin and Nick get back from their European sex vacation, Nick Gruber embarks on an affair with a woman. Hmm. Mm. So despite some issues in the relationship, if you want to call it that, Calvin Klein will throw Nick a huge 21st birthday party in January 2011. You want to hear some of the guests? Sure. Vera Wang. Donna Curran. Sure. Alec Baldwin. Hmm. Even Anna Wintour shows up. Sure. It's probably the place to be. Eventually, Nick Gruber starts to stay in the Greenwich Street apartment and only sees Calvin Klein on the weekends. Calvin Klein will stop giving Nick his $10,000 a month allowance. (laughs) Okay, this is so weird. All right. Where Nick says he had to start turning tricks to support his lifestyle. This story is going badly. (laughs) Forever in blue jeans. It, oh we're not God. even done, babe. Uh, yeah. All, all right. right. So what happens? Things begin to spiral for Nick, where he ends up arrested for cocaine possession. Oh, no. And assault in oh. April of 2012. Wow. Calvin Klein agrees to pay 
for a posh rehab facility in Arizona for Nick. Calvin flies out to visit Nick during family week at rehab, and Nick writes about this visit. I really thought he was there because he cared about me and wanted to help me, but then he checked me out of the center, essentially for a booty call, (laughs) and I thought that that was all he really cared about. It is probably not going to come as any surprise that the relationship between Calvin and Nick soon ends after Gruber finishes rehab. Nick will begin dating another wealthy older man oh God! named John Luciano, who happens to be the grandnephew of Lucky Luciano. I was going to say that sounds like a mobster name. All right. So fun for Nick. He's I found a new love. Suppose... John Luciano was quoted as saying, The most intimidating thing is having sex with your boyfriend and pulling down his pants, and his ex-boyfriend's name is staring at you right in the face. This just keeps happening to people close to Calvin Klein. Wasn't it Calvin Klein underwear and Back to the Future, too? I believe it was. Maybe so. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Forever in blue jeans, always in my underwear. All right. In 2013, the San Francisco Examiner reported that Nick Gruber had allegedly been kicked out of a Fire Island, New York party for being, are you ready? Quote, unquote, aggressively straight. A fellow partygoer claims that Gruber was shoving men away, saying, keep away from me. I'm straight and I don't want any gay people to touch me. I think Fire Island may have been a poor vacation destination choice. (laughs) Nick, it's... uh, It doesn't go great for Nick. Okay, that was 2013. In 2019, Nick Gruber was once again being talked about, but this time it wasn't for being a boy toy. Nick was arrested three times in 2019 alone. In May, he was busted for possessing a stash of methamphetamine and a loaded gun. This one's inside a Hilton hotel room. Nick was also arrested for beating someone... With a frying pan. Things go poorly for Nick, is what you're saying. That third arrest in 2019 was for breaking into an Upper East Side apartment and stealing clothing and methamphetamine. Although Nick was facing jail time, he ended up taking some plea deals and got probation and community service. This is a very sad... It sounds like he's been poorly used by... A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. By by life and by men. So, Calvin and Nick didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Calvin Klein, though, gonna have another boyfriend. This one, Kevin Baker. They were first spotted in 2016. And unlike some of the press attention that Kelly got or Nick got, Calvin and Kevin Baker have never spoken publicly about their romance. They were photographed together as recently as June 2022. There have not been any reports of a breakup. So I am assuming that Calvin Klein is doing fine. Let's go ahead and give you just a few quick details about this relationship. Okay. Calvin Klein is now 80 years old. Wow. Kevin Baker is 35. Wow. They do their best to keep the relationship as private as possible. But, of course, whenever they leave the house together, the media will pick it up, throw it in the press. But it seems at the, you know, no time like the present, forever in blue jeans, 
At the age of 80 years old, Calvin Klein might have found the one for him. True love at last. That is the Trashy Divorces Forever in Blue Jeans Romantic Entanglement Saga of Calvin Klein. Well done, Alicia. That was a long and winding road for one Calvin Klein. How many trash cans do you think should be squeezed into those jeans? Goodness. I don't know. They've got to all be beautifully designed, aesthetic trash cans for sure. They just, maybe you're so well designed, they blend into the background. Hmm. Maybe there's some in the Hamptons and the Dunes. Sure. Maybe some at Studio 54 too. Oh, sure. They all probably smell like obsession (laughs) because you've got to figure that nothing gets between Calvin and his trash cans. That seems correct. Darlings, thanks for joining us today in this whole new season. Stacy, you're going to be back with us this weekend, uh, taking us to church, so to speak. Can I get an amen? Oh, yeah. Until then, friends, patreon.com slash trashy divorces is where you can find us, at least for the trashy divorces, but that isn't the only place. Have you subscribed to Trashy Royals yet? We drop every Thursday with a story about nobles, royals behaving badly, and we invite you to join us on that ride, which is not necessarily divorce-focused, but occasionally there are beheadings and such. You just never know. It's always trashy. Check out Trashy Royals over there if you're looking for a little bit of Thursday listening fun. And thanks again to all y'all for listening, for telling your friends about us. For your kind emails and reviews and your support on Patreon, too. Y'all are simply the best. Until we meet again, friends. Uh, Keep those hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy. Big love, everybody. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all.